0: We're going to look at a portion of Scripture in First Thessalonians today, chapter 5. In the last couple of weeks, Pastor Kurt uh, went through the first passage in 1 uh, Thessalonians 4, starting at verse 13, and he spoke on authentic hope as we began to deal with some eschatology, the study of the last things, um, and then last week... Uh, Tommy Forrester uh, spoke on chapter 5 verses 1 through 7, a life characterized by authentic hope. And we're going to look at the next section today. The title of the sermon is the fruit of authentic hope, the fruit of authentic hope. So if you'll stand together, we'll read and I'm going to start reading, even though this was covered last week, a few of these verses, but just for context sake. I'm going to start reading at verse 4 and read from verses 4 to 11. So the scripture says this, But you are not in darkness, brothers, for the day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then... Let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober. Having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Verse 9. For God has not destined us for wrath. Hallelujah but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us so that whether we're awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your words which give us comfort, which build us up, which challenge us, which move us, Lord God, by your grace, closer to you. We pray that in the coming minutes as we look at your word, that your word will shape us and your spirit will move us. Lord, have your way, glorify your name in all these things we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 You may be seated. It's a very interesting section of scriptures, the last one that we'll be dealing with. We study a little bit of eschatology and talk about that. And Pastor Kurt and Tommy have done a great job of that, so I don't need to go through a lot of those things today. But one of the interesting characteristics of this scripture is that you see in a few places uh, at the end of verse 2. It says, the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. And we're told that a couple times. He's coming like a thief in the night. But the last verse that we read says, therefore, encourage one another. And build one another up. At the end of chapter 4, he said, Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Now, uh, I live in Logan. Some of you live in North Philly. Some of you live in West Philly, South Philly, uh, Jersey, all over the place here. But it it doesn't seem quite to go together well with me. He's coming like a thief in the night. Therefore, be encouraged. Right? There's got to be something in the middle of that. Right? Because in my neighborhood, I don't know about yours... But in my neighborhood, a thief in the night is not a good thing. A thief in the night is not coming to bless my house with holy water in Jesus' name. So some of you sleep with baseball bats right under your bed because of the possibility of a thief in the night. Some of you have a four iron, boom. And some of you have some other iron that is somewhere in your home. Because you, you're not expecting a thief in the night, but just in case, in case you got something for him. But the word of God says he's coming like a thief in the night, but the end of the passage says encourage one another with these words. Build one another up. Isn't this good? So there's something that we've got to figure out that's in the middle of that that would actually give us uh, some encouragement. And, and, and this whole study of eschatology and of the fact that Jesus Christ Is coming back. Jesus Christ is coming again. Paul is using this to encourage a church in the midst of persecution and trial and difficulty. And this is a word that should give encouragement to all of God's people. He's coming back. He's coming back. He is surely coming back. One of the issues I think that we have in the church in America because, and and just having been two weeks in in, in Malawi, in Africa, in villages where where people are living uh, and and getting by, sustaining themselves by what they grow and hoping that they make it through another year with enough food. What I realized is that we do live in a land of abundance. And even those of us who say, well, I'm, I'm struggling and I'm poor and I know what that's like and I know what that feels like. But the reality is you, you can pretty much go and turn on the water and turn on a light. Now, sometimes those get turned off, too, I know. But, but for the most part, you can go next door and do it if, even if your own got turned off, right? So, so we live in this abundance here. Uh, but one thing I saw was, was such a picture of the hope of Jesus in the people that we were able to be with over these last couple of weeks. And I think that sometimes we miss it here. We miss it because there's so many other possibilities. There's so many other things that we can put our hope in and our trust in. You know, some of you as students, you know, you're, you're just looking to you're like this semester, this is my straight A semester. Now, Maybe for some of you, you're hoping this is your straight D semester. I don't know, but but like you put your, your faith and trust in, in your grades and how well you do. Perhaps, perhaps you know, you're looking at a better job or a, a, a nicer house or a nicer car, or, or perhaps we can put our hope in having washboard abs in the next 30 days without changing our diet or any exercise. Glory to God. I'm just going to wear this thing for 30 minutes a day. and. Look at me, check me out. You know? We put our hope in all kinds of things. But but what the scripture is pointing us to is one hope and one hope alone. And that hope is Jesus Christ. He is coming again. He is the only hope that any of you have, whether you know it or not. We were at uh Eastern Light Presbyterian Church the last two weeks in Malawi. And I have this bad habit. I'm, maybe some pastors do this. I don't know. But it's a bad habit. I'll admit it. When I go to a church service, I always count how many people are in it. Now, I don't count every person, but I want to get a general idea. So I look at how many rows are there, you know, how many seats are in a row, that kind of thing, and get a general idea. So our first Sunday there, my estimate was five to six hundred people were were there at the church. It's a five-year-old church, very much like Epiphany. Um, The parking lot was a little bit different, although we don't have a parking lot. Um, But there were no cars. There were no buses. There was no transportation besides uh, left foot and right foot. That was transportation. Uh, and, and, and people came, as I talked to the pastor and talked to leaders there from the villages around there, up to and more than an hour to even an hour and a half away, that's where they walked to the church. They came to a place where they knew that they would hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. They came to a place that, that no matter how hard and difficult it was to get there, they knew that they needed to get there. They came with children, lots and lots and lots of children uh, on their backs many times as well. Uh, But they came because of the hope of hearing about Jesus Christ. And there was a hunger there. There was a hunger among people. They, They desperately wanted to hear the word of God. Almost no one had a Bible almost no one. By God's grace, we were able to give that church 100 Bibles. Amen. Because of the generosity of many of you who are here. Amen. Amen. That's all right. But just seeing hope fixed on God. So as Paul talks about in in these verses and in chapter four about the coming day of the Lord, uh, that's something for us to look forward to. And yet, in most of the Bible, particularly in the prophets in the Old Testament, when they talk about the coming of the day of the Lord, it is not usually good news. It is a word of warning. Isaiah says these words in verse 13, in chapter 13 and verse 9. He says, Behold, the day of the Lord comes, cruel, with wrath and fierce anger, to make the land a desolation and to destroy its sinners from it. Ezekiel, chapter 30, verse 13 says, For the day of the Lord is near. The day of the Lord is near. It will be a day of clouds, a time of doom for the nations. The prophet Joel in chapter 2, verse 1 says, Blow the trumpet in Zion. Sound the alarm on my holy hill. Let all who live in the land tremble. For the day of the Lord is coming. So Paul says, The day of the Lord is coming like a thief in the night, but later he says, encourage one another with these words. So this is for us the possibility of the best news, but we must also admit it's the possibility of the worst news. If you're not ready, if you're not right, if you're wearing the wrong thing when he comes. Let me tell you a story. When... Uh, when I was engaged to my now wife, or as we would say in Malawi, my busa, I am Abusa Larry. That's Pastor Larry. This is my busa. So I love that. Anyway, y'all, y'all don't know nothing about that, but <laughs> that's my busa. Or just for short, my boo. Anyway. <laughs> when I was trying to make her my boo. We were engaged and we were in love. And I had visions of little hearts flying around my head and little birds tweeting everywhere whenever I thought of my boo. And, and we, we, were, we were just so in love and, and my wife had been involved in helping to plant a church. We lived in Rochester, New York. There was uh, a church being planted in Buffalo, New York, about an hour and a half away. And she was a part of the team from our church that would go there twice a week just to help with the church plant. That's one of the reasons that I said, wow, this woman is dedicated to God's work. She is serious about this. I kind of like that. And that's one of the things, uh, among many others, that uh, attracted me to this young lady. Anyway, um, so she was involved in that. But at one point, uh, now the church that we were in, uh, was a church in many ways in some ways like like epiphany in that it was very racially diverse, different types of people and different folks and everything so that was kind of the church we were in uh, but we were kind of hooked into other churches that were more like historic kind of black church. some of y'all know what I mean some of you have no clue what I'm talking about, but that's okay. But they were kind of more black church, but our church was kind of eclectic, um, more epiphany-ish in some ways. Anyway, so um, the other church was having a church convention. Black church convention. (laughs) Harriet was going there, and, and for some reason something came up, and I couldn't go there that day. It was a Saturday. Um... But I worked real hard to get out of whatever it was that I had to do that would make me not be able to go there because I really wanted to go there and surprise her. This was my plan. I wanted to see my boo. And I wanted her to see me come through and just be like so proud. That is my man. Look, he came all the way to Buffalo. He was supposed to work or whatever. And he got out of all that just to see me and just to be here. So I made it there. And I thought, man, when she sees me, she's going to be so surprised. And she saw me, and she was surprised. And if looks could actually kill a person, I would not be standing in front of you today. Because, see, she was at church convention, convention, black church convention, which means you dress to the nines, Look, I'm from the country, y'all. Originally from Alabama. Grew up, some of y'all know, in Wampsville. That's where I grew up. That's a real place. <laughs> Farmers everywhere. That's where I grew up. So I'm just like, I have my mind on one thing. I want to I be there. I want to show her. I want to just, I cunt came in wearing my tattered jeans. Not, not a fashion statement, just old. Um, Laughter wearing my farm boy shirt. But I came, and I stood in that room, and she looked at me and said, if you take one more step, I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to knock you down right where you stand. Now, God is gracious and kind, and, and we worked through that. Uh, it took a few weeks, if I remember correctly, but we worked through it, and, and, and we're together even now. But, but I realized... That I was wearing the wrong thing in the wrong place at the wrong time. And I was covered with shame from head to toe. Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. Question is going to be, are you wearing the right thing? Or are you wearing the wrong clothes? Will you be able to rejoice when he comes, will you be able to, to lift up your voice and give praise to God? Or will you be destroyed and ashamed That is His coming? <clears throat> Depends on what we do now. So I want to look at these verses. The fruit of authentic hope is what I want to talk about today. The fruit of authentic hope. And the fruit of authentic hope, I see three things in these verses that that hope does. The first thing it does is in verse 8. Let's read that verse. It says, But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. The first thing that authentic hope does is it seals your heart and mind. Authentic hope in Jesus Christ seals your heart, and it seals your mind. He says, Let us be sober, having put on... And that's a past tense there, having put on the breastplate of faith and love. I want to turn back to get, uh, where did that come from? Where does this expression come from? It's Isaiah chapter 59. And I actually want you to turn there. A lot of times we'll just mention a scripture, but this time I want you to turn to Isaiah 59 because I want to look at a little context. Isaiah 59 is in the middle of an interesting section towards the end of Isaiah, uh, his prophecy. verse Or chapter 57, he's talking about the idolatry that fills Israel. In chapter 58, he's talking about false fasting versus true fasting. What's the difference? And in 59, he kind of runs down the evil uh, that is happening among God's people. What is happening among God's people? That, that's why the day of the Lord was such a warning sign, even to God's people. He, and, and he begins to list what's going on and how truth is a commodity that no one's buying anymore. Justice is, is out of the picture. And there's injustice everywhere. And so he begins to list this. And just a couple verses at the beginning of chapter 59 And I'm going to read from the uh, NLT, New Living Translation. He says, says it this way. Listen, the Lord's arm is not too weak to save you, nor is his ear too deaf to hear you call. It's your sins that have cut you off from God. He says because of your sins, he's turned away and will not listen anymore. Wow. That's a heavy, heavy word from the Lord to his people. This is, not, this is not going out to some apostate nation somewhere else. This is his word to his people. He says, I, I'm, not, I'm not too weak to save you. I can save you, but your sins have cut you off. And he goes into this in, in chapter 59 here, and I'm going to pick up at verse 15, and this is from the ESV. He says, Truth is lacking. And he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. In other words, if you turn away from evil, you're in trouble. Because the culture has now embraced evil and wickedness and injustice in such a way that when I want to stand up for what's right and for what honors God, I'm in trouble. This is the place he is. It says, and the Lord saw it and it displeased him that there was no justice. He saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no one to intercede. Then his own arm brought him salvation. God's own arm brought him salvation. And his righteousness upheld him. Verse 17. And he put on righteousness as a breastplate. And a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. And I'm going to go all the way down to verse 20. It says, and a redeemer will come to Zion. To those in Jacob who turn from transgression declares the Lord. I'm going to go right into chapter 60. He says, arise, shine, for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth and thick darkness with the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you and his glory will be seen upon you. Incredible promises from God to his people. But he says that this critical verse that Paul is picking up on in uh, 1 Thessalonians, in verse 17, he says, He put on righteousness as a breastplate. God did that. So when the Bible picks that up in Ephesians chapter six, the, the, the chapter on spiritual warfare and putting on the whole armor of God, he says, put on the breastplate of righteousness. So he picks up these exact words. But Paul in first Thessalonians, he has the same concept, but he uses different words. He says, put on the breastplate of faith and of love, put on the breastplate of faith and of love. Now in reality the Lord is the only one who can pick up his righteousness and put it on and say check me out see if there's a flaw see if there's a seam that you can get through with your arrow see if there's anything you can do to penetrate this because my righteousness is perfect and impenetrable and so the Lord himself takes up the breastplate of righteousness and puts it on. But here Paul says, take up the breastplate of faith and of love. To take up the breastplate of faith is to say that for me to take up the breastplate of righteousness, if I do it with anything else but faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, it is like taking up a a, a little weak little net that I put on my chest And anything can penetrate that. Any bullet, any arrow, any little rock, anything can penetrate it. Because Isaiah is going to say later on, your righteousness is like filthy rags. So if I put on the, the breastplate of my righteousness, I've just done nothing to protect myself. But he says, take up the breastplate of faith. In other words, believing in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. The one who is righteous, the one who lived righteous, the one that never sinned, the one who who lived perfectly no matter what the enemy did, who lived in such a way that he was holy in all things. So he says, pick up the breastplate, put on the breastplate of faith in him and of love and of love, because James is going to say later, if you have. Faith, but you have no works, is dead, being of itself. And, and faith without works, James says, is dead. In other words, if I say I've got this great faith in the Lord, but I watch how I live, I watch how I love, and I'm raggedy in the way I treat other people, I don't care for them well. I'm, I'm self-centered, and I am about me. He said, that is not faith in this Lord Jesus Christ. That's some other Jesus you're talking about. But when you have faith in this Jesus, it works out in your life in such a way that people around you are loved well. So when he says, pick up, put on the breastplate of faith and love, it is the righteousness of Jesus Christ that we're putting on that shows itself up in people who diligently believe in him and then live that out in how we treat one another. We love one another. So, so this is the breastplate seals our hearts. Our hearts are what we need to watch out for because the Bible says out of the heart flow the issues of life, right? So we seal our heart with this breastplate, but then he goes on to say, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Not only put on this breastplate to cover your heart, but also put on the helmet of the hope of salvation. Let me ask you a question. What is your mind focused on? Most of the time, a lot of the time. What preoccupies your thought life? He says, put on the helmet of the hope of salvation, as I said, kind of in the introduction today, it's very easy for us to get our hope fixed on a thousand things in this world, even to the point that we begin to obsess about certain things is different for every one of us. But we have that temptation and we have that proclivity that comes out of our sinful nature and it's fueled by a a world system that is not bowing itself to God and certainly fueled even more by the work of the enemy. But, But the reality is we are faced with choices all the time. Where will my hope be? What do I put my hope in? The first commandment that God gave to Moses in Exodus 20 was, I am the Lord thy God. You shall have how many other gods? No other gods before me. Later on, he says, I'm a jealous God. God's the only one that can be consistently jealous and righteous at the same time. Amen. Now, I can be jealous and righteous sometimes. But sometimes I cross the line. But God can be consistently jealous and consistently righteous. And he says, I'm a jealous God. Have no other gods before me. I am God all by myself. Nothing else. No one else. And our, our, our great issue is that we allow our minds to be sucked into so many other things that, that we begin to find our hope in. So many things other than the true and living God. What is that for you? What is that for me? One of the the great blessings that we had uh, in Malawi, working with this one ministry, Christ Cares Ministry, they had about 130 kids. And of those 130, there were 12 young men who both the ministry staff and these young men would say, we believe God is calling these young men into ministry. And they were each able to articulate the, the sense and the fact that God has called them into ministry. Uh, they believe one day to be pastors. And we want to pray that each and every one of those young men gets what they need in order to fulfill that calling. So we, we were so excited uh, going in there, not knowing exactly 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 what God was hooking us up with, but God, God was at work. And, and what we saw with not only these 12 young men, but with so many of the young people that, that we met there, um, almost none of them had a Bible. Of these 12 men who they feel God has called them to ministry, one had a Bible. Now, by the time we left there, they all had Bibles. By the grace, grace of God and by your giving as well. So we were able to give Bibles to these, these young men. Um, But what we saw there was a focused hope in Jesus Christ. One young man, his name was Festin. Um, By God's grace, I was actually able to baptize him the second Sunday we were there. I was like, God, what are you doing? This is too much for me. Uh, But one young man named Festin, uh, he gave just a powerful testimony of how the Lord had taken him out of all of his sin, and that was something that was very consistent as we talked to to young people about their relationship with God. They talked about God taking stuff away from them and changing their lives. Not just, well, now I believe this, I used to believe that, but no, God changed my life. That was clear. And with this young man, he began to talk through it. I asked him, I said, what, what is your favorite scripture? And he, he just, he went into Isaiah, went into a number of scriptures there and, and talked about his call to the gospel. And one of the other young men named Lovemore, Lovemore was over there. And, and as I talked to him about his calling in the Lord, he said, that man, that man right there, he was talking about Feston, He said, that's the one that told me about Jesus and led me to Christ. And just beginning to see these young men with a focused hope and a focused life that's centered around Jesus. And and, and this is what the Bible uh, calls us to. Uh, Where are we in regard to this? Where is your hope? What are you wearing? He's coming back. In Matthew chapter 22, Jesus tells a parable of a wedding feast. And the king is getting ready to throw this wedding feast. And he invites all these people and the people don't show up. They've got other things to do that are more important than a wedding feast. And so the king says, okay, go out into the highways and the byways. I, don't, I still don't know what a byway is. But go out into the highways and the byway. Go everywhere and get whoever will come. Get the old or the young, the rich or the poor. And it says in the ESV translation, the good or the bad. Get whoever will come. And he invites them to the wedding feast. And they're there at the feast, not the ones who were originally invited, but those who were in the crooks and the crannies of the city. He brings into the wedding feast. But in verse 11 of Matthew 22 says, but when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there was a man who had no wedding garment. And of that man, he says, take him, bind him, throw him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Why? Because he wasn't wearing the right clothes? Yes, that's why. And so the question that we have, even as Paul tells us to put on the breastplate of faith and of love, put on the helmet of salvation, is are we wearing the right stuff so that when Jesus comes for us, it's a time to rejoice and give praise to God? Or will we be shamed and thrown out? You see, when we understand this rightly, when we understand what the fruit of this hope looks like, then we understand it seals our hearts and it seals our minds. Secondly, not only does it seal our heart and our mind, but it secures your eternal destiny. I hope that's good news to you. I know it is for me. Verses 9 and 10. Verse 9, it says, For God has not destined us for wrath. Wow. He should have. He had every right to. For me and for you, we were, by nature, the Bible says, children of wrath. But he has not destined you. Paul's able to say, he doesn't say you, he says us. He says, God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. That is good news. That is the best news. That it secures your destiny eternally in Christ. The fruit of this hope is there is security beyond which no, no, so much so that no one can touch it. The stock market might rise. The stock market might fall. The Eagles might win the Super Bowl, but probably not. <laughs> neither the Cowboys. Neither the Cowboys. But... But, but wonderful things can happen or terrible things can happen, but I stand on a solid rock knowing that God has gripped me up and brought me to himself and nothing and no one in the world, in the whole universe, can change that fact for a millisecond. It is secure. It is done. It is done. So Jesus, uh, Paul says to a church. He writes a letter to a church. It's crazy. And says, God is not destined us for wrath. I love the fact that in the middle of this passage, Paul goes from talking about you to talking about us and we. So he begins to have this inclusive language as he goes through this chapter in First Thessalonians. But uh, it's a beautiful thing. He, he says, I'm one of you. We're together in this. So how can he say that? Did Paul have some secret knowledge when he looked at someone of what their eternal destiny was. Because he's saying, God hasn't appointed you to wrath. Was Paul able somehow to see the eternal counsel of God before the foundation of the world where God destined some to salvation? I don't believe Paul had any knowledge like that. Neither do we. But what Paul saw, he saw a church Tommy read some of this last week. Let me read, starting in verse 4. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief, for you are children of light. He saw that they're children of light, children of the day. We're not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. You're sober, people your people of the day your people who walk in a way that honors Christ even when other people aren't looking we saw earlier in 1st Thessalonians that they had undergone this great persecution right after they believed and were still babies in Christ, and yet they stood up for the truth of the gospel and didn't back down, even though it might cost them economically, even though it might cost them their freedom at times with with being thrown to jail. It might cost them all kinds of things, but they stood up for the truth of the gospel of Christ. And Paul sees this. He sees this in people, and he says, Therefore, I know this, you are not destined to wrath. But, but you're destined to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Believing in Him secures your eternal destiny. What a blessing to understand that. On the positive side, it says not only does it, it not destine us for wrath, but it, 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 it is to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Obtaining salvation. Now, sometimes we have way too small a view of salvation because we're way too fixed on the things of this world. Like, like for some of us, um, let me talk about the men before I talk about the women because I get in trouble when I talk about women. But for men, like if the Eagles did win the Super Bowl, for some men that would feel like that is salvation. There could be nothing better. I can't even imagine how great it would be. The parade on Broad Street. It would be so great, Right? But, but really, in light of the scripture, that's a nice thing. If you're from Philly and you love the, the Eagles, I would enjoy that a lot, but it ain't salvation, y'all. Finding a purse and shoes that match ain't salvation. <laughs> and maybe hair that matches as well. I mean, y'all can hook it up all kinds of different ways, right? Hey, I see that hand. I see that hand. <laughs> Glory to God. That's not salvation. The salvation that God has for us is so great that we can't even begin to imagine it. It's not just like he's going to take you out of hell which you deserve to be in and put you right next to it but you can still feel the heat on your left shoulder it's not like that it's like I'm going to take you out of the clutches of the enemy and I'm going to put you into the bosom of the father and I'm going to give you a new body and I'm going to give you a new mind and I'm going to I'm going to so work in your life that there's no vestige or hint of sin in you in any way And I'm going to put you in an environment where there's no sin anywhere or any possibility of it anywhere. And you can enjoy the presence of God forever. That's salvation. And he says, I have destined this for you. Salvation. That's the gift that God has for us. Do we appreciate that gift? Is that gift a million times greater than anything else We would desire on earth. I hope that it is. And the last thing from these verses that I want you to look at for just a moment is in verse 11. He says, After all this, therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. You know, he had said earlier, The day of the Lord is coming like a thief in the night. But he said, For you, it's not going to be like that. The day of the Lord is not a thief in the night for the believer in Jesus Christ. The day of the Lord does not come like an unwelcome guest into your home for one who has built their life around serving and worshiping Jesus. But in the Old Testament again, we see this warning. There's a warning to the church at times as well. Because being in the church and coming to church doesn't mean that you built your life around Jesus Christ, right? Somebody said, any more than going to McDonald's proves that you're a hamburger, right? So being incognito among the people of God really doesn't get you any points with the God of the universe. Question is, what have you built your life on? What have you built your hope on? So he says to believers, to those who have not been destined to wrath, but to obtain salvation, he's able to say these beautiful words, encourage one another. That means to console them. It means to comfort them. It means that the reality that Jesus is coming ought to be the most comforting thing that you can imagine. If it's something you dread or fear, then you've got to look a little bit deeper in your life. But for the believer, if you built your life around him, it's something of great comfort. It's something of great consolation. And then he uses this word, uh, uh, encourage one another and build one another up. Now that word is a word that's used as well for construction could be constructing a home or a building or a bridge or anything else. So he says, build one another up, construct one another around this thing. In other words, I want you to live your life not only individually, but in community in such a way in Christian community where you are building one another up, you are erecting a a trophy of God's grace among the people of God in such a way that people are being plugged into Jesus Christ and into one another in such a way that God sees this beautiful work completed. And he gets all the credit and, 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 and those who have worked the hardest on it and those who have given the most of their life to it don't care at all that he gets all the credit because your deepest desire is to see Christ glorified in high definition, big screen, amen. Yesterday, my wife and I went to a movie and we were just thinking about, you know, the, some of the kids that we spent time with in, in Malawi just Going to, what going to a movie theater might be like for them. I, I, I think, like a lot of these kids, I mean, they certainly don't have any televisions. They live in villages, in huts that often are from here to that speaker and from here to the first row. And several people live in, in that place. And they sleep, you know, on the floor, on a little mat on the floor. No electricity, uh, no, no plumbing, none of that. So they're living this this simple life. We just wondered, as we went into the movies and saw the big screen and heard the big noise all around us, what would it be like, man, to take Festin or Lovemore or Hosea or some of the young people we met, what would it be like for them? It would be absolutely overwhelming, I'm sure, in many ways, to to see that. And my, my prayer is that for each one of our lives that we, we can experience the, the awe and the wonder of one day we're going to be in the presence of Almighty God in a way that nothing here can really prepare us for. I mean, we can be ready for it, but it's going to be so much more overwhelming than that movie theater is. It's going to be more than 3D, more than 4D, more than 5D. It's going to be D's all over the place. The reality of the presence of God and the word of comfort is this. At the end of chapter 4, verse 17, at the end of that, he says, and we will always be with the Lord. That's the hope of the believer. You know, in the time I've been speaking, Some people are saying, well, gee, this message, Jesus is coming back. Jesus has been coming back. They've been saying that for 2,000 years. Where is he? 2,000 years. He still hasn't come back. I don't see him. I don't know when he's coming back. Anyone who does is either a liar or deceived, right? Jesus said no one knows the day or the hour. So either a liar or they're deceived. I don't know when, but I do know that he's coming back. As surely as I'm standing here right now, I know that Jesus is coming back. And in the time that I've spoken these words, statistically speaking, about 4,700 people on planet Earth have died. Their body, their heart is stopped, their mind is stopped, they are expired. Because statistically, about hundred and fifty one thousand people. On the earth, die every day. That's about 6,300 people every hour. So, in 45 minutes, and I'm on pace to do about 45 minutes, praise God. uh, That's about 4,700 people have passed away. And their eternity, what they will face, either to rejoice in the kingdom of God forever or to be thrown into utter darkness, that is decided, and that is finished, and there is nothing they can do about it. But for everyone in this room, wherever you're at with Christ, you can do something about it. If you don't know Him, I pray that you don't leave this room today without talking to someone about your soul and about this Christ. And if you're a believer, but you still tremble at the thought of his coming. Ah, I I pray that you'll consider where your life is at. That you'll consider what you're wearing. Because raggedy clothes won't make it. I'm not talking about external clothes. They can be as raggedy as they want. But I'm talking about covering yourself with the breastplate of faith and hope, with the helmet of salvation, with a a mind that is centered on Jesus, the Christ, the Son of the living God, the only Savior of the world. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you today that your love is amazing. Your grace in Christ has covered the vilest of sin. And Lord, there's not one of us who can point at our own lives and see and say, look at this good thing I've done. Does this outweigh the bad? Your answer is always no. Our sin deserves your eternal wrath. And yet, Lord, you did not destined many, you have not destined us, Lord, to death but to life if we put our faith and hope and trust in you and by your, the power of your spirit you enable us to walk this thing out in a way where you transform us more and more into the image of Christ. Lord, I pray that the deepest desire of your people today would be to honor you. Lord, that, that our, 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 our whole being would eagerly anticipate the reality of your coming again to us. But Lord, even if that doesn't happen in our lifetime, that we would eagerly anticipate your presence daily because you are here now. You dwell among your people. You are with us, Emmanuel, God with us. You're not far away. And I pray, Lord, as well, that if there are any that do not know you, they don't know the pardon of, your, of their own sins, they, don't, they have not given their lives to Jesus Christ, I pray that they won't leave this place without considering and praying and speaking with someone and would you, O oh God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, convict a heart and take out the heart of, 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 that is hard and stony and put in a new heart of flesh that is soft? Would you cause someone even today to be born again of the Spirit of God? Touch your people, Lord God. and Bring us closer to you that we might rejoice in you in all things, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.